Hi everybody, this is Bill Owen again, doing another podcast. This is a follow-up we did recently about uh, impressions I have of celebrities I've met. I I talked about how I grew up in North Dakota and had no opportunity to meet celebrities or even to see them for that matter. Well, I did mention Ted Weems, the famed band leader, Perry Como sang with early in his career, came to town, that was one celebrity, but he's not universally known, of course. And the great boxer, Jack Dempsey, came to referee a wrestling match, and I got his autograph. Other than that, uh, I can't recall any celebrities at all. We did see President Franklin Roosevelt at the fairgrounds from a a distance. He was just a a little dot in the background. We were so far away. So the irony was, the whole point of this is that I I was never around celebrities. And then my career took me to to New York, and there I was surrounded by them. And I, I saw many people just walking down the street, like Jane Powell and Hermione Gingold, Henry Cabot Lodge. But uh, never, of course, talked to them. They were just passing in the street. But uh, I did actually meet, in many cases, interview or be interviewed by very famous people. I mentioned Margaret Truman interviewing me. It was uh, one of the highlights of my life. I was on her radio show. So now we, we come up with a few more names I've thought of. And one of the first that comes to mind today is Howard Cosell probably the best-known sportscaster of all time. Up until Cosell came along, you would you would give that honor to Bill Stern, the Colgate sports newsreel man is on the air. Howard Cosell, a very unique person, really. And a lot of people didn't care for him at all. And I was among those who really uh, admired the way he could ad-lib and and, uh, remember events out of the past without notes. Very, very articulate man. He was a lawyer and got into Little League Baseball somehow. And his career, he started writing for Sport Magazine. And it was all upward for many, many years through the 1960s, 70s, 80s. And I had the good fortune of being selected to uh, fill in for him whenever he was not doing his radio show. Speaking of sports, this is Howard Cosell. Well, I didn't do it in his voice, of course. Who could? But uh, he was gone quite often, particularly football season, when he would be doing the Monday night football games with Don Meredith, Frank Gifford. So there were a lot of uh, a lot of occasions for me to sit in for for Howard, and he gave me free reign. He gave me some tips. I remember once he said to. Uh, Try to try to mention as many sports as you can, even if you give it one line, auto racing, horse racing, tennis, just even if you're not interested, because I primarily like football, basketball, and baseball. But give it a line, and that was, that was certainly good advice. And uh, a lot of people are kind of intimidated by him, but one time he was in the building when I was doing his show. He He'd already scheduled me to do it, so he said, go ahead and do my radio broadcast. And We were in the midst of it, and I had a little interview of a tape on audio, and it broke during the thing. It, was, it had to do with Ernie Davis, the great Syracuse football player, and his premature passing. 
And we had little uh, touching comments to make about the loss of the great Ernie Davis. But when the when the tape broke, it kind of threw things apart, and uh, it wasn't a pleasant show to listen to. In short, five minutes. And I went downstairs after uh, after the show was kind of bollocked up, and said, "Oh, Howard, I'm so sorry. The show kind of fell apart." That's all right, son. It wasn't your fault. And it was really re- reassuring, you know. He could have really made me feel bad. So I, th- I thought a lot of Howard Cosell. He, he never drove a car. He was always hitching rides to get back to his home in Pound Ridge, New York, where he did many of his broadcasts right from his home in his pajamas. Howard Cosell, one of the, one of the greats in the world of sports. Well, maybe the most famous people of all that I ever met with dancer Sid Charisse and uh, her husband, Tony Martin. And they came to the studio for an interview. And just uh, even though they were such elegant people in the social world, I always picture him in a tuxedo and she in some wonderful dancing gown. They seemed so compatible and so in love. He was then 85, she was then 75, but they both looked youthful. And I mentioned uh, to Tony that I'd gone to Southern California. He went to college in California, also to St. Mary's. And uh, we talked about and he, he sang he sang the USC fight song for me. Fight on for old to see, and then fight on to victory. So I was I was quite honored to have Tony Martin sing a song right to me. And I, I got them to relax right away by saying, uh, well, you're probably the most glamorous couple I've ever known. But I said, do you take out your own garbage? And they, they laughed. That set them at ease. They, yes, we take out our own garbage and we walk our own dog. They were, they were a wonderful couple. And such talents. Oh, my goodness. I learned a lot of inside stories about Sid Charisse. She missed a couple of roles, one because she was pregnant, another because she had broken a bone. I think it was an ankle. And uh, she was destined uh, supposedly to be in in the Easter parade with uh, Fred Astaire. But uh, that never came. But she had many, many hits over the years. Tony Martin. Frankie Lane, another great singer. Mule Train, remember that? Mule Train, yeah! And I got some interesting information about him. And Mule Train, when they snapped the whip, I said, was that a real whip or what was it? He laughed and he said, no. They tried a real whip and it didn't work, so they took a couple of two-by-fours and slammed them together, and that was the whip in the famous song called uh, Mule Train. He was still singing in his 80s, came into the studio with me wearing a, a pendant, and I asked him about that, and he said he wore that all the time in memory of his wife, Marcia, Frankie Lane. Oh, so many great hits. One of the truly great singers of the 50s. Ed Sullivan, I had occasion to meet him very briefly. I was in Europe, stationed in Germany, but I was sent to, uh, to London to do a football game at Uxbridge Stadium. And it was a service, kind of a little uh, championship of the services they had, they had big-time teams over there, Army and so forth. And they had a lot of players who had been outstanding stars in college. So this was, this was high-quality football. And while I was there, 
AFN, the American Forces Network, said as long as you're there, could you take a little portable tape recorder along and and get uh, celebrities in London that you can find to uh, to wish the troops Merry Christmas. So Ed Sullivan, we found, was staying at a hotel, and we tracked him down, and somebody said, now be careful because he has an ulcer, and sometimes he's a little snappish, but we we met him in the lobby and with his handlers, and, and he was very cooperative, gave a nice little hello to the troops overseas in, that, in the lobby. And then we went to the set of uh, Gentleman Mary Brunettes, it was a sequel to uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and it was starring uh, uh, so many great people, among them Scott Brady. Uh, some of the people had a little difficulty thinking of what to say, like Jane Russell. She stopped a couple of times and says, I'm trying to think of something good to say. Gene Crane was there, and Rudy Valley, I got to talk to him. But they would eventually come up with some little greeting. Scott Brady didn't hesitate one bit. He grabbed the microphone and says, This is Scott Brady in London on the set of Gentleman Mary Burnett's. Hey, GIs, I'm wishing you a blonde in every duffel bag and two six-month passes a year. <laughs> and he handed the microphone back. I thought that was great. Scott Brady. Fred Foy, another famous person and my colleague, I'm honored to say. And I talked to him one day about uh, him being the voice of the Lone Ranger for so many years on radio and then on television. And uh, I said, did you ever dream that years after you first did that, people would still be talking about it? And he said, I had no idea. Just He went in, he, it was a job, he recorded it. And the famous, the Lone Ranger rides again. Fred Foy, and he was, he was on staff with me at ABC. Actually, I, I was on staff before he came along, even though he was several years older. He'd been doing a lot of freelance work, and we were really honored to call him our colleague. You've never met a finer gentleman, Fred Foy. The Lone Ranger rides again. I like the way he said uh, silver. He didn't just say, hi silver. It was, hi silver just that distinctive Fred Foy style. Les Paul, oh my, famous man. He told me he was only nervous once in his life. He says, when they inducted me into the Inventors Hall of Fame, he said he didn't think he belonged up, up there, and it made him a little nervous to think he's, he's uh, in uh, such a category as a Hall of Fame inventor for his electric guitar. Great musician. He and his wife, Harry Ford, uh, Mary Ford had so many hit records over the years, including Via Condias, so many others. Les Paul, the greatest in his field. And uh, it was kind of funny. One time I was interviewing on the radio, and he said, by the way, he said, yesterday I was listening for your answer to your trivia quiz, and just as you were giving it, somebody knocked at the door. <laughs> and I missed the answer. So, Bill, what was the answer to yesterday's riddle? I got a kick out of that. I don't remember what the riddle was, but I was able at that time to come up with the answer to it. Les Paul. So many names are floating around as, a, as I rack my brain trying to recall. A, oh, how about Larry King? I was on his program twice, his, his radio program, never on his TV, but I was uh, 
in Miami Beach the first time and went into the studio and he and I were all alone with the engineer and spent a great hour. An astronaut had been on just prior to that, so I was highly honored to be in that kind of company. And we talked for an hour or so and then I got in the car to go back to my motel and I was doubly thrilled because he spent the next hour just reading my book, the big broadcast that I did with Frank Buxton, just turning page after page, just reading it with no comments. So he enjoyed the, the history of radio, obviously. Larry King. But what struck me about Larry was he was such a good listener. Not All interviewers are not Larry King's. And uh, sometimes they're thinking ahead to their next question and they're not really paying attention to the person they're interviewing. But that could not be said of Larry King. Then I was on a program with him in 1982 at WOR New York. They were marking, I believe it was the 50th anniversary of WOR. And I was down there at Times Square area uh, in the wee small hours of the morning talking with Larry King. Really, uh, the prime interviewer of all time as far as I'm concerned. I met athletes along the way. Uh, this one really surprised me. As I mentioned, uh, I'd never met celebrities in my youth in Bismarck, so to speak, just those two I mentioned. But uh, years later, Hal Neuhauser of the Detroit Tigers, former of the Detroit Tigers, came along. I found out he's in town, so I invited him over to the radio station where I was sports director and staff announcer. I was so honored to have Hal Neuhauser standing next to me at the microphone for an interview. And I said, Hal, well, first of all, let me... For those of you who don't follow baseball, he was the premier left-hander uh, of his day. He he and Bob Feller were the top two pitchers, no question, for many, many years. Feller, the right-hander for the Cleveland Indians and uh, now the Cleveland Guardians. And Hal Neuhauser of the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers had a one-two punch. They had behind him, they had right-hander Dizzy Trout. So anyhow, that's, that's Hal Neuhauser, and I remember during a World Series game, one of the sportscasters said, Hal Neuhauser on the mound, peers down for the sign, and he wears that visor and his cap drawn down so you really can't see his eyes, and he always comes to the park not shaven, so he has a very menacing look when he's on the mound. And I, I asked him about that. I said, is that true? He said, I've never heard that. <laughs> he had never heard anybody say that he wore the visor over his eyes and he went to the park. Not shaven, but at the time it was a good story, entertaining. Paul Harvey came to the uh, new studios in New York City. Where, uh, there were about, well, we had four networks in one room. And uh, I was at the, the FM network at that time, and he was on one of the other networks. But there were maybe mm, uh, six or eight people with the typewriters crackling, doing, getting their shows, rewriting the, from the wire services. And I couldn't resist. I, I went over and interrupted his typing. He was doing the typing himself. He's not one of these people who carried an entourage of writers. He... He did it all himself, and he was sitting there pecking out his newscast, and I introduced myself, and he stopped what he's doing and he pulled himself straight up, and I told him, my wife and I really enjoy your broadcasts, which is true, and he said, well, tell her I really appreciate that. 
very humble man. One of the greatest newscasters, certainly, of all time. And uh, another name. How about Red Skelton? Well, actually, I never did meet Red, but I, as a college student, I used to go to Hollywood a lot, and I managed to get in backstage during, uh, this is in the early days of television, where Fred was out, Red was out there doing his sketches and a lot of pratfalls that I could, I could mostly hear it. I could barely see him from backstage, but he was working himself to death out there, and he came back after a break with sweat pouring down. The audience was in absolute hysterics. They just loved him, you could tell, live audience. And his wife, Edna, his former wife, who was still his manager and uh, did a lot of writing with him. She had performed with him for a while. They, a remarkable marriage after they broke up. They were still great friends and a great team. And I remember he walked up to her and in all humility, he said, was I good? Well, he should have known he was good from the audience reaction, but she reassured him, oh yes, Red, you were just great. So even though I never got a chance to talk to him at all, it was, it was fun to be a few feet away and listen to his conversation. The great Red Skelton. Oh, so many great names. That was, that was at Sunset and Vine in Hollywood. Fairly small for a, for a TV studio, but they had converted an old radio studio. And it was certainly something to remember. I also hear, I heard Red Skelton say one time he had been to a Shriners convention in L.A., and once again he had the audience in hysterics, and somebody yelled out, Hey, Red, tell us some dirty jokes. And with that he stepped to the apron of the stage and looked down at this gentleman who suddenly slunk down in his sheet as Red said, I would never tell a joke I didn't want my mother to hear. Wasn't that touching? Red Skelton, I feel almost sorry for the man who who dared to shout that out. And finally, Nelson Rockefeller, who became vice president under Gerald Ford at one point. I met him first very briefly at a campaign appearance, just a handshake in the crowd. That didn't mean anything. But then uh, sometime later, he was being interviewed at ABC, and I was doing the news that morning, and I was in the uh, makeup chair, and uh, they used to even make up my hands because people say, well, they see your hands uh, holding the script. So they make up your face and hands. And here Nelson Rockefeller sits in the chair next to me, and I had the opportunity to chat with him. Again, a very humble man considering his station in life. Very, very friendly. He, he really had charm. He exuded charm, I must say. Nelson Rockefeller. Well, it's... Quite thrilling to look back on my lifetime for a kid who came out of North Dakota and never, if rarely, saw celebrities and then be able to actually be close to them, talk to them. So I just wanted to share these with you. Anyhow, it's a lot of fun for me. I hope for you, too, to do these podcasts. And we cover a lot of ground, the world's greatest aviators, greatest authors, the big bands from that era, mnemonics. We did a podcast on memory devices, which was kind of interesting, I think, mnemonics. And, uh, oh, we talked a lot about different baseball players, legends of the past. So there's always something to, to think about, and it's fun for me to take part and remember all these things from the past that we're passing along to you. So anyway, thanks for your attention, and uh, hope to see you next time.